This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply that proves that award season is a year-round event. I am Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, no longer in studio, but still here talking to all of the same people, uh, our film critic Richard Lawson. Hello. Our digital director, Mike Hogan. Yay. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hello. Do you want to give our loyal listeners an update on why you're not in studio? Or oh, is that just sure. Yeah. yeah. Let's take yeah, a I, pause here. I have, a, I have... Left New York City to move to North Carolina, where I uh, am living a little closer to family. And you guys don't even want to hear about the size of a place you can get for the rent. But lucky for <laughs> me, I get to stick around at Vanity Fair, which is kind of the best of both worlds. So I'm uh, I'm adjusting to life as not a New Yorker. Uh, so far, the takeout has been terrible, but uh, otherwise, everything's going well. Now, 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 Katie, you're being humble. You're you're really there to work on the Dawson's Creek reboot. Oh, God. Yeah, right. of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting yeah. on a dock in a marsh <laughs> yeah, right now. Like, let's be clear. It's <laughs> <laughs> very exciting. Have you scoped out a good movie theater in the uh, area? There, There is a good movie theater that I have not been to yet. I have the same problem that I did in New York, which is that I have a baby and therefore don't go out very often. Uh, right. But they're playing Colossal, which I haven't seen. So, nice. you know, I'll, I'll start catching up. And, and you know, I, I, I frantically ran out to see Lost City of Z finally after we had that great interview with James Gray a few weeks ago. And I saw it right before I left Brooklyn. And it's playing in two theaters near here. So, okay. Wow. My, All right. My, my concerns were unwarranted. You don't have to drive like four hours to Ashland to see to see a movie. <laughs> so far, as, well, or I'll just come back to Brooklyn uh, constantly and make you guys yeah. take me to the movies. Okay. Um, <laughs> but if anyone feels like their uh, their podcast diet is too like heavily New York centric, now fully half of this podcast is no longer in New York. So outside the bubble, the bubble. Yeah. yeah, I know. I used to feel like I was representing like real America until you guys pointed out that I live in the Bay Area, <laughs> right? Yeah, but, but Katie now really is our correspondent from real america so i mean i'm so technically in the blue bubble in a purple state yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> anyone living in arkansas listening to this is rolling their eyes so hard thankfully probably my point. Yeah. <laughs> making making slow progress so part of me uh, having moved and also having baby not seeing things is that I'm behind on seeing a lot of stuff, uh, which is where we're going to quiz Richard on a lot of really interesting new releases and TV shows. Uh, but we're going to start with a catch up on the most important award show of the spring. Obviously, the MTV Movies and TV Awards. Welcome to the MTV Movie and TV Awards. <laughs> it's kind of weirdly depressing that they changed it to TV, but also it left room for some really interesting moments. Joanna, you watched most of the show. What was it any good this year? It was very different. Like they're they're clearly making an effort to really change it up this year, really lean into um, going as young as possible. I think Mike mentioned, sort of we were discussing this earlier, leaning into sort of the Teen Vogue vibe, like this woke America situation. And so, yeah, so they had a bunch of new awards this year, which we discussed previously on air. And, and I think you could really see them trying to capture them. I'm not sure that that... Adam, is it Devine or Divine? Anyway, the, I'm not sure that 
he was the host necessarily for that effort. He did a fine job, but I, I'd say his opening, which was this sort of Beauty and the Beast uh, number, was my least favorite part. But I thought it got it got its footing after that. What did you? I know, Mike, you watched it too. What did you? I think? actually kind of liked the Beauty and the Beast opening number. I don't know why. Um, although I, th- I, I told, uh, Joanna, I had pr- earlier that day had a little, or the night before rather had a little grilling incident where I was trying to cook uh beer can chickens oh, on my oh, grill no. and I lit the grill on fire and this had is like some, a, this is supposed to happen in Katy, North Carolina. Not yeah, I know. Why, why was this? This yeah. is in Manhattan, yeah. which by the way, is definitely illegal. Uh, <laughs> and there was like a really terrifying moment when I had to pull the propane tank out of the flaming grill, you know, first oh, things yeah. first. Wow. So anyway, by the time I was watching the set, really seeming to like catch fire during the Beauty and the Beast thing, I was like having a little PTSD. I was like, guys, I think it's like, it seems like there's too much fire. (laughs) Right. Um, But other than that, I thought it was kind of cute. But yeah, he was a slightly odd match for the the overwhelming wokeness of the rest of it. Maybe maybe it was a good balance too. You know, you can't spend the entire time talking about non-binary awards. I I, I thought that was very inspiring too. I thought thought they were doing like, uh, he was kind of... Well, he read as sort of this knockoff James Corden, this like American knockoff James Corden. And especially <laughs> since Corden did, well, no, I don't mean it to be that mean, but like, okay. especially since Corden did that great pratfall on the stairs uh, for, was it the Tonys? Must that, have been the Tonys, yeah. It, it was so good because you really did for a second, even though you know it's fake, for a second you're like, oh! Oh no, it's a fake pratfall, but the the fire stunt was seemed like a knockoff of that. But it but it, it was aware of it because then at the end of his number he does the stunt. He's like, "You know what? Corden would do this, so I'm going to do this." So he knew he was doing Corden yeah. basically. But I also found it impressive that they did that all live actually. You know, cuz cuz the the big award shows are now really leaning toward the kind of taped thing that they can like work on for three right, months right. but that was a ridiculous goofball thing to do live and in person yeah. you know yeah. and a lot of like you know Rebel Wilson was funny as the teapot or whatever yeah I felt like they had to go big because they were announcing themselves now as the end TV awards you know so this was kind of like a reinvention in a way so yeah. it makes sense that they opened with this kind of big spectacular thing um, and you know and I thought that you know, at first I was like, this, I mean, Beauty and the Beast, like, that's not really, like, hip. It's a huge success. But then later in the night revealed that, like, in fact, it won a lot of things. It and, won. And, and so right. the kids who were voting for this actually were probably hungry for a sort of Beauty and the Beast opening number. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about the hype they've given themselves for the first ever non-gendered acting award that Emma Watson won? Like, I think it's interesting to try and non-gender it. And they had a, a non-gender uh, identifying person give it out. And that's fascinating. But that's we're not exactly breaking down boundaries here. Like, you're just reducing the number of people you're giving acting awards to by half. I don't know about it, that. I think that it was... I. Uh, my, I mean, look, I, this whole thing to me is almost like an anthropological study. You know, I'm so far out of the demo that I'm just it's, it's like, it's clearly not appealing to me. So I'm just like, oh, interesting what the kids are into. Right. But apparently, if you look at the statistics, kids are like really, really not identifying with genders nowadays. Like the, right. that number is creeping up to, toward 50 percent for kids under a certain age. Mm-hmm. So I do think that they're responding to something real in the culture, even if it's also sort of gimmicky and, you know, give them credit for kind of engineering some publicity out of that yeah but it is funny though because on the other hand as they're going through all the nominees by the time they get to like huge hack when you're like well they're definitely not giving the first non-binary award to like a middle-aged white dude like sorry Hugh. you know it's an honor to be nominated uh i mean that would have just been that's just unthinkable yeah i mean it would have been like 
like a, Sorry, like a bad outcome from a good intention, you know, <laughs> right. or whatever. Like, yeah. Hugh Jackman won the the award of like best audience reactions of the night because the camera kept cutting to him and he's like, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. Oh, this is all fine. I'm 30 years older than anyone else in this room. This is fine. I'm enjoying <laughs> but, it. But I think that enjoyment is, it's like, you know, people watching at home, like Mike or me or, you know, any of us like, or we're like, oh, wow, this is not for me at all. This is not my demographic. But Hugh Jackman got invited by that demographic, you know? <laughs> so he's like, I don't care that I'm old. Like, they want me here. Like, he seemed totally <laughs> baffled by the recut of the Logan uh, trailer, too. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, I don't think anyone understood what was happening there. No. Of course, it sent me down a YouTube hole of like, Shining. Remember? <laughs> right. Shining. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> with, with Salisbury Hill. The the thing that I, I beholden to mention as a hopefully future member of the Television Critics Association is that Emma Watson gets up there and says, this is the first award ever given like non-gendered. And I have to say that the TCAs have been doing that for years. They don't gender their acting awards. So there you go. I may be passing along fake news, but I read that the Emmys also originally had uh, no gender in their uh, categories, at least at some point. So that's kind of what it just my main point is just, you know, good for them for kind of breaking down gender barriers, but it doesn't seem like the most important thing that's happening. Well, I mean, women weren't allowed history. on television until 1960, so that, that's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. The men, yeah, you know, was man just, was playing uh, I Love Lucy. Best person in a film <laughs> right. meant right. man. Right, exactly. You know? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I think this is the first time someone's explicitly doing it for that reason, right? Yeah. yeah. To no, say sure. it, it's it's sort of at some level illegitimate to yeah. to distinguish this yeah. way. And, you know, something that I, I was sitting on a bare floor in my otherwise empty apartment, you know, my TV was, I just moved, so it was kind of a depressing experience, and I was so... For a like, second, well, I pictured you on a bare skin rug. Oh, well, I do have that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that finally arrived. Um, but, um, you know, so I was feeling, like, a little bit, like, depressed, so I was like, well, I'll just kind of, like, tweet about it, make some jokes, whatever. And, and I did, but, like, then at the end of the night, I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, say what you will about it being MTV and sort of silly and just, like, adults trying to approximate teenage cool. The show was by and large a lot more diverse you know and just in terms of who presented who won things yeah. like then a lot of other award shows so i think we should give it credit for that and i think in one of the big ones you know our favorite category best kiss going to the two boys from moonlight who you know said lovely things when they went up on stage like that was exciting and you know and a moment for those kids to be honored in a way that like they didn't quite get during the sort of bigger awards season because they were kind of overshadowed by mahershala or barry jenkins himself or you know whatever so i thought that the mtv providing that moment was pretty great yeah, that was the thing to me, like just kind of catching up on it later. The fact that they won and it was like not a big deal. It wasn't the face, the first uh, same sex kiss to win the movie award, but that it was those two guys who aren't famous. Like it wasn't like Jason Biggs and Sean William Scott winning for American Pie 2. Yes, I do have the Wikipedia page for best kiss pulled up in front of me to reference everything that's happened in the past. Um, <laughs> does it, the like the lingering cultural impact of Moonlight reflecting itself in the MTV movie awards is kind of the last place I would have expected it to show up. Well, and then, and then what about, you know, Johanna Desta on our, uh, staff wrote a, a good kind of recap of the whole thing and, and pointed out that, that it was really Stranger Things night. Yeah. In many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, right down to the graphics that they use, those retro 80s graphics, yeah. which I really like. Yeah. It also was kind of throwbacky to like when MTV was the most important thing in my life. <laughs> right. But that show now, if we think about the Emmys, I feel like that show has to, make a dent in the Emmys. You know, we talked about right. it when it first came out and saying, well, it's tough timing. By the time the Emmys roll around, it's going to be so much other stuff. But I don't know. I mean, or do you think people are just like, all right, already? Stranger I, Things. I was kind of was like, oh, right, that's still happening, you know? And I think that because, maybe because it's on Netflix, like people, and so it's not like, 
air date. It's just been there the whole time. And so maybe people are kind of watching it in waves. And so it still has this kind of cultural momentum. Well, it, it seems but, like it's beyond that. It's already iconic for yeah. young people. For like, young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, we'll, I'll, whether keep, that affects the Emmys. M- maybe 13 Reasons Why will be that show next year, even though it came mm. out, you know. Well, season two is coming in October, which is over a year. You know, right. season one was a summer show. And so it's one of those long, long hiatuses that, that may sort of mess with the with the Emmy potential. But I can see it getting a lot of nominations. I just I don't see it actually winning. Be- because it's too genre or because it's it came out too long ago or what? Or there's not a standout performance. Right. Yeah, I think I think it's because it's too genre. Like if there were a newcomer Emmy, they would probably give it to Millie Bobby Brown, even though this isn't like her first role ever. But you know, I don't think David Harbour, Winona Ryder are going to get anything. And I don't think, you know, it's going to get anything for writing or directing or best, you know, best drama. Uh, it might get it some technical awards, possibly, but mm-hmm. but I don't see it getting any of the big the big awards. Well, you know, Netflix has set up a month long thing uh, event space or whatever you want to call it in LA, which, uh, Rebecca Keegan, our own Rebecca Keegan, I was following on Instagram and Facebook has pictures of like one of the door. She knocked on a door and that crazy oh, no. hands coming through yeah. the, um, the wallpaper. Oh, Jesus. So they're reminding people, uh, that way, voters, if right. they yeah. actually show yeah. up to this thing. I, I mean, it's so, giving them nightmares. Well, and one more thing about MTV. How about Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn making fun of, uh, La La Light Moonland? Did you guys see that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's Richard, Richard and I were tweeting at each yeah, other about it. Yeah. Um, I thought that that was kind of clever and felt like almost like a weird form of closure, Gen Z closure on the whole thing to me. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, 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 what I tweeted at you, Mike, was like, now I really want Goldie Hawn to star in a movie called Moonland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would. Did be she good. start a moon colony? You know, I, I, I'm still. It's still really early in the development phase, Katie. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. The Run for Revogue is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Well, this seems like a good transition into one of the first new releases we want to talk about because Richard has seen Snatched, the uh, Goldie Hawn, Amy Schumer kind of mom and daughter buddy comedy. Is that a fair way to describe it? It's like a bonding comedy, you know, okay. like, they don't start. Well, they, I mean, they're like close, but they're not really buddies. But but yeah, I saw it on Monday night and, you know, they were handing out free glasses of red wine in the lobby of the Lincoln Square AMC, which, you know, was oh. a cute idea given the kind of tone and verve of the movie. But I assume you uh, declined. You know, I actually. 
protect your. You know, uh, I actually did good. decline because <laughs> your critical integrity. One, right? Critical integrity. Because <laughs> as I've learned from like pre theater or whatever, like one glass of wine and then sitting in the dark for two hours, I'm gonna fall asleep. Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I, I I think the publicists were half right, half like you're you're running the risk of having a lot of sleeping people. Yeah. yeah. Um. But you know, but they were trying to set a fun tone, which I think worked. People were in kind of a good mood. You know, anything there's something free on top of the free movie that's 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 gravy but yeah you know the movie's silly it's 90 minutes it was written by katie dippold who wrote the heat who's who's good and you know so they're they're it, it's strong in aspects i didn't really care for the whole like kidnapping venture story i kind of just wish it had been like mom uh, mom and daughter on vacation comedy but that said what a joy to see goldie hawn again you know mm-hmm. yeah it's been what 14 years i think she was banger sisters i think was 2003 um wow. so it's just been a really long time a whole you know high school student's worth of not no, <laughs> non goldie years right. but, she, but she's great and I, my sister i took my sister to see it and afterwards she was like yeah goldie hon just knows what she's doing like she yeah. can just yeah. do it. it doesn't mean it doesn't matter if she took a you know decade and a half off she just like she's just back in it you know? I, I took a film class in college and we watched Private Benjamin oh, yeah. in the class. Like, yeah. you know, oh, like yeah. she's, it's in the canon. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and this is you kind of, I mean, the Snatched is not, Snatched is not like the, a, a great movie, but like it does remind you why we loved her for so long and have loved her. For all the time we spent talking about like uh, Susan Sarandon on Jessica Lang on Feud and kind of how they were you know, metatextually talking about women in their later careers, it's nice to see uh, a comedian come back in that same way. Like someone who is not going to like dive deep into a dramatic role and she's not like going for an Oscar or anything. She's just like, like starring in a comedy and doing what she's really good at. Yes, that's true. Wasn't Private Benjamin sort of really seminal for the fact that she got nominated for a comedy, you know, she got Oscar nominated for a comedy role, which is mm-hmm. always hard to do. I guess it's not that impossible. But in but, Best um, Actress, it was not in supporting, you know, which which she had won. Yeah. You know. And um, the, the other thing I want to say is growing up for me, like maybe we all have our like very go- different goldie ages or whatever, but for me, like overboard and burn on a wire were staples in my household. Like Goldie Hawn was a very important comedic force for us. And so, yeah, to like see her come back and exactly what you say, do what I've seen her do a bunch of times. Burn on a wire is basically this, but with Mel Gibson instead of Amy Schumer. <laughs> For me, it was laughing over a highball, you know, oh, when sure. I was yeah. in my early <laughs> very teens. Classy. Yeah, at the very time. classy. Yeah, I, I, I was later. I was like, Death Becomes Her and then First Wives Club. That was sort of my... I mean, I've se- I'd seen Overboard and stuff, but yeah, oh man. And, you know, watching this, you know, it, the movie is pitched very much at like, you know, a younger sort of tone. Like, there's a lot of like, Instagram jokes and stuff like that. And Goldie Hawn is just sort of like, you know, there for the ride. But it made me want her to like star in a Nancy Myers movie or something of that ilk, you know, something that's really for her and about a woman her age, you know, and, you know, she could team up with whoever she wants. But like, you know, and I, th- I, I hope the movie does well. It's kind of opening as counter programming against, you know, well, week, weekend two of Guardians and weekend one of Alien. And, um, you know, I hope it does well enough that it encourages Goldie to do it again. Well, Richard, you keep coming up with your own transitions. Uh, Alien's actually not open until next week, uh, Alien Covenant, but it's oh, since gosh, you'll be at right, Cannes yeah. next week. Yeah. Uh, it, and uh, the other movie coming out this weekend is King Arthur, and I would kind of just rather pretend that movie doesn't exist. I don't know. I haven't seen it. So I don't know. I'm, tell me ho- if I'm being crazy. I saw it this week. I'm on the Hunnam train. It's not, it's not it's not a good movie, but like Guy Ritchie is talented enough that like it's entertaining. And I I, th- I think he's just still, for me, running off of Lost City of Z fumes. But I was like, yep, I'm, I'm there for it. Yeah, no, Lost City of Z yeah. definitely helps. Well, speaking of other previous guests on the podcast, Ridley Scott uh, is, you know, kind of the guiding force behind the Alien franchise. Mm-hmm. He was talked to us for The Martian. And so Alien Covenant is yeah. out and it's 
confusing to me because it's like sort of a sequel to Prometheus and sort of not. You've got Michael Fassbender back as his droid character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie seems to be really dividing the denizens of film Twitter. And I'm, I'm curious where you land, Richard. Yeah, so it is. It, it exists on the Prometheus alien continuum, certainly. I'd say it, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It's a movie. Yeah. So it's I, a sort of a sequel and sort of not. It's, it, it, I think it dovetails into Prometheus. Prometheus yeah, it, it takes place after Prometheus. And it's, I think it's kind of catching up to Alien, you know, sort of in terms of its kind of creature evolution and whatnot. But yeah, it's, it's half Prometheus movie and half Alien movie. And then it's half like, you know, space horror with a body horror with an alien. And then half kind of more about like who, you know, who created us all and sort of artificial intelligence. And Fassbender really is very much the lead in the movie, even though the trailers kind of don't suggest that, which was sort of surprising for me. And afterward, I, I saw it on a Friday evening and I, I texted a colleague uh, and I said that was dumb question mark and she wrote back no I actually really liked it and sort of kind of talked me back into you know liking it more because it just wasn't what I expected it's it's half gory horror movie action horror movie and then half like weird meditation on existence I feel like I'm gonna like it yeah. yeah, when I when I saw, you know, I saw some footage at South by and I talked to Ridley Scott and Catherine Watterson and Danny McBride and the thing that they all kept pushing and, you know, the Fox representatives were there was this is a horror film, which is yeah. a which is a return to form for the original Alien film. And a really interesting thing about the Alien franchise as far as I'm concerned is for its first few iterations, it was sort of this proving ground for new directors this exploration in genre because you have james cameron coming in and turning into an action movie and then you've got david fincher joss whedon like a bunch of other people who hadn't sort of done a lot of things yet coming in and putting their own spin on on what alien could be and now you have sort of ridley scott resting all the guy started resting it all back under his control and being like no this is what the alien franchise was supposed to be about and you guys all had fun with your experimentations but ridley's back in charge now so ridley's back in charge now (laughs) (laughs) And he has like, he has threatened all of us with like seven more alien films and and all this sort of stuff like that. So what we're seeing is, you know, this, this long running franchise now under this, for better or for worse, now under the strong vision of, of one, one auteur, I guess. And I'm really interested. I haven't seen it yet. I see it tomorrow and I'm really interested to sort of see if it is, does feel like a return to alien, which I don't know how it could because alien is such a, such a small feeling movie. Yeah. Um, and that's why it works. And, you know, these movies feel like they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That being said, you know, I, along with everyone else, I had a lot of issues with Prometheus, but I thought Fassbender was far and away the best part of Prometheus. And I joked when I got out of that movie that if it were just Fassbender, Fassbender's droid head in a bag, <laughs> the entirety of the next film, I would watch it. And Fassbender's playing, you know, he's pulling you and McGregor and Fargo. He's playing two droid characters in this movie. And I, I'm here for it is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So Sir Ridley uh, called your bluff. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. want Fassbender's head yeah. in a bag? No problem. Yeah. Well, but it's not, it's, head's not in a bag. Head's not in a bag, sadly. Um, but uh, there is some something exciting that happens between the two Fassbenders, but I won't spoil. Uh, Do they have best kiss? Next well, I, I, look, Mike, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. But I will say that something that that I that I that bothered me a little bit about Prometheus and this is that the first Alien movie works so well because 
these are just kind of like working class, you know, industrial laborers, basically, who are just trying to get home. And this thing happens to them. They didn't ask for it, really. They went to go investigate, you know, a signal that, you know, some distress call or whatever. But like in, in Prometheus and especially in this, these are people like in search of and they're supposed to be the kind of top scientists of their field. And like, really, you know, they're supposed to know how to handle exotic species and locales and whatever. And at some point during Covenant, you're like, so Earth sent the the dumbest scientists on Earth to die in space so they wouldn't fuck up anything on Earth because it's just like, it's strange credibility, you know? So I, I kind of miss some of that original just kind of like accidental horror of, of the first movie, but... You know. That's interesting. But no, I think it's still worth seeing because as Ridley Scott, you know, he he takes a big stylistic kind of, um, it looks different than Prometheus. It's not that kind of really polished, gleaming, you know, this is grittier. But like, he's such an interesting visual filmmaker and like, you know, he got, has this great cast. Catherine Waterston is really good in it. Fassbender's great in it. You know, Amy Simons, who I think wrote a lot of the girlfriend experience, she plays a smaller part, but she's really good. So yeah, it's, it's worth seeing. I mean, just, does the you know, suspense part of it work? You know, because I mean, I generally c- is I good c- at creating a feeling of like what the hell is going to happen next the oh dread for sure thing. i mean i yeah. covered my eyes a lot and he's yeah. good at setting up like you see a little thing like start to wriggle and then you're like oh yeah. fuck like right. that's right. gonna right. manifest itself horribly in about five minutes yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah you're so right because when i watched prometheus these scientists were like taking off their space suit oh helmets poking things and i was like you all deserve to die horribly for what <laughs> terrible scientists you are so yeah uh, after the martian it really felt like ridley's kind of kind of gotten some of his energy back like that movie it, it also had a really great ensemble cast it was it wasn't simple like alien but it was a little simpler than something like you know say exodus gods and kings or the prometheus so do you feel like that ridley scott is still around like does he still have some of that energy to him yeah i think so i mean i think that for me like he seems to be a guy who like he's like let me figure out if i can do this set piece and then i mean he, he'll start with a good yeah. script obviously but like he he just like i think is really interested in like pulling it off in a way and so i think there's a lot of that in covenant where it's just like it, it's kind of one set piece after another and for me they don't necessarily 100 percent you know cohere into a, a good movie but like yeah i mean he's still got this like you know, he's what in his mid seventies, late seventies, and he's still got this like curiosity, which I think is really cool, and this kind of daring. You know, yeah, yeah. He's not falling back on sameness, even though this is you know his third movie in this universe. Well, as the only person who really just liked Prometheus a lot and yeah. saw it twice in the theater, I think I'm, I think you'll be I'm into this. Yeah, it. you'll be into this, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Prometheus like diehards or 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 just even like regular fans of that movie will will find something cool in this one. I think. Yeah. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
right. Well, we're going to wrap it up with Richard and telling us about one more thing that uh, I at least haven't seen any of, but is back. Uh, Netflix's Master of None comes back for season two uh, this Friday, I believe, because Netflix will overwhelm you with new series until you lose your mind. There's something new premiering, I think, literally every weekend that's worth your attention. And Master of None was so good in its first season. And from what I hear, the second season is, is really keeping that up, even though it's doing something really different. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, there are a few standalone episodes in the second season that are sort of not really concerned with the the larger narrative of the season that are really spectacular. There's one in particular called Thanksgiving where Aziz Ansari's character Dev kind of takes a backseat to his friend Denise. It kind of chronicles her over the years kind of slowly coming out to her mother or realizing that she's gay and then coming out to her mother who is played wonderfully by Angela Bassett in just one standalone episode. So when the show does stuff like that, it's really great and like really inventive and really kind of building on or, or not, you know, not improving on necessarily, but building on what Louis C.K. did with Louis, where it's like nonlinear kind of comedy television. I think when it gets to the more sort of like straightforward romantic comedy aspects of the season, that's a little bit less inspired or a lot less inspired, but still really entertaining. So as I as I'm making my way through Dear White People, which I'm really loving, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Like, do, do, should I finish that before diving into Master of None? Is this the kind of thing I should like binge in a single weekend? Like, I'm I'm serious when I say that Netflix is kind of overwhelming me with how many things they want me to watch at a given time. Yeah, I mean it is a lot. I would say you know with Dear White People, that feels so novelistic that like I I would say finish that story first okay. and then you know and then because master of none is more kind of peripatetic it skips around it's in italy it's in new york it's you know this standalone episode so it's it it demands less kind of like follow-through like or, or not or consistency rather but like i think dear white people is telling one bigger story so uh it's worth kind of like finishing it out before you start something new the the other thing that netflix is dropping this weekend is is their anna green well it's the cbc's anna green gables right. uh, reboot gritty reboot gritty uh, and, uh, gritty, gritty. Oh, so God. gritty. Oh, and I'm man. just here to tell you, and I have conferred with other AN experts on this, of which I consider myself one, skip it. <laughs> Don't watch it. It gets everything wrong about what is right about Anna Green Gables. So that's a it's a hard pass for me. Watch Master of None, not Anna Green Gables. I heard you might be writing about that for uh, for uh, what, VF.com sometime soon. Yeah, this website we've all heard of, VF.com. <laughs> I'll have my, my thoughts about it on there. But, um, you know, it's, it takes, it's just deals with like abuse and suicide and, you know, Andrew Gables is traditionally this very wholesome, like, yeah, the PBS show, you know, from long ago was like a staple of my household. You know, my mom still talks about it. Remember how good that show was? So I, 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 I'm not going to tell her about this one. (laughs) Don't let your mom know about this one. No, it's, it's so funny. Like every woman around our age that I've talked to watched it growing up and every guy I've talked to also watch it, but they'll usually say like, oh, my, it was my mom's favorite. And I watched it with my mom. Right. Like, you're not the first to say that, Richard. And it's just like, yeah. it was this very important piece of 80s. And then, you know, the books themselves are huge. Like, droves of Japanese tourists come every year to Prince Edward Island because Anna Green Gables is such this, like, big yeah. fixture. She's big in Japan. I don't know why. But um, I don't know. I don't know why we needed to go dark with this. But, you know, yeah. there's there's a Netflix show for everyone. Yeah, my, my dad's family is from Prince Edward Island. And I, I you know, so it, it's 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 closely held in my family. So I'm, I'm kind of bummed about that. You know, it would be like if they remade. Remember the Sarah Polly Ramona Quimby series on PBS where she played? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like if they remade that, that would be like sacrilege. So. <laughs> 
Richard, my dad's family also comes in part from Prince Edward Island. We probably uh, have all this buried in the same graveyard we're distant somewhere. Distant cousins. I'd like to see Ridley <laughs> Scott remake the Waltons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> good night, John Boy, and then he shoots. Yeah, him. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then a giant like rat shoots out of his chest. Isn't that kind of what the nice guys is? Where like John Boy is this assassin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, then I feel like that does it. For uh, all the things that I now need to watch, I can't decide what I should put first on my list. Although uh, Alien Covenant, I think, is going to draw me into theaters before I know it. Um, and then by next week, uh, Richard, you'll be off in Cannes. So mm-hmm. we're going to have so many movies to talk about soon. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting. It's a really good lineup this year. VF.com has a lot of things planned between photos and interviews and all kinds of things. Yeah. Reviews, obviously. Um, so, yeah, we'll have we'll have the, your bases covered for that. Yeah, so uh, so next week we'll have kind of a preview of what to expect at Cannes. Uh, and in the meantime, you can find us all writing at VF.com about things like the Anna Green Gables reboot and the MTV Movie Awards and uh, Cannes eventually. And you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Richard. Rylaws. Joanna. Joe wrote this. And Mike. Mike Hogan with like a little underline thing between the two <laughs> uh, and we're all at little gold men no punctuation needed this episode was edited and produced by Jordan Bell and thanks as always to Andy Bowers at Panoply and the award for best review of my story about setting my grill on fire goes to Richard Lawson that was dumb question mark Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.